Well, I, I missed you last week, even if you didn't miss me. And I get to preach, so I've just been walking up to random strangers this week saying, my second point is, <laughs> what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? Well, quite honestly, it depends on who we ask, doesn't it? Because you ask one person, and they might say, well, I think of someone whose life was transformed by Jesus Christ. Someone who was, was living a certain way, and then they, they met Jesus, and they were, they were totally changed. But then you ask someone else, and they would say, well, I, I think of, um, you know, kind of an out-of-touch, deceived, maybe not too smart person going through life leaning on an imaginary crutch. All depends on who you ask. So if we ask, what is a Christian? Some people might say, oh, oh, that's a person that's very loving and very forgiving and very generous and very benevolent, a person who is like Christ. And someone else would say, oh no, Christians are judgmental, critical, narrow-minded and legalistic. Somebody would say, well, Christians are known for their love. And their compassion, and they're known for their, their faithfulness and integrity. And others would say Christians are known for what they're against. And they're against everything. Anything that's fun. And they don't drink or smoke or chew, and they don't go with girls that do. They're against everything, and most of all, they're, they're against each other. They can't seem to get along. We're in the middle of a message series called You, subtitled, Who Do You Think We Are? And we've learned some important things along the way the last few weeks. We've learned that when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Because one of the most common problems that Christians face is that we really don't know who we are in Christ. And because we don't know who we are, we uh, over and over and over again in our lives, we will come up against circumstances and situations where we don't know what to do. We've also learned that there's no such thing as a normal Christian. That, that every one of us is filled with the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That we have direct access to God Himself. That we have the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. There's nothing normal or regular about us. And, and when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. It's all about knowing who we are in Christ. And already in this series, we've seen that God has said to us, you are my ambassadors and you are overcomers and you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So what do you think of when you hear the word Christian? Would it surprise you to know that as far as the historical record is concerned, Jesus never called anyone a Christian? Never called anyone a Christian. In fact, he never called anyone to be a Christian. Not that there's anything wrong with the word. I use it all the time. I'm sure you do too. But, but the word Christian was first used early on to make fun of the followers of Christ, to ridicule them to try to insult them. It was thought up uh, by a, a group of unbelievers in a town called Antioch. 
And they began to use a word uh, about people that followed Christ. They called them Christianos. It meant little Christs. So what they were saying is, you, you think you're just a bunch of little Christs. That's what you are. You're just a bunch of little mini-me's. Little imitators. And so it started life as a derogatory term. But it was quickly embraced by Jesus' followers. You know how sometimes a kid, fifth, sixth grade, get a nickname hung on him, and rather than fight it, he just kind of accepts it. Right? Takes it on, lives with it. I was in sixth grade, and can't believe I'm going to tell you this. It was because my last name, which to me is as simple and straightforward as a last name can be, G-A-M-E-L, Gamel. You know, it's like camel with a G, right? But I've been called Camel, Campbell, Gamble, uh, Gamel, I mean, you name it. One of my friends who thought my name was Gamble decided that he would call me Gumby. Remember Gumby, the little green clay animated figure? And so that's what I was known all through high school. You can look at my old high school yearbooks and everybody inscribed it to Gumby. Of course, I haven't been called that since high school because I made up my mind that I would hurt anyone who called me that. <laughs> it's a promise I made to myself and I've kept for 31 years. <laughs> they tried to hang this insulting term on the Christians. On the followers of Christ at Antioch, you're just a bunch of little Christ. And they embraced it. They said, you know what, That's, you're right. That's who we are. And before you get out of the, the New Testament, you begin to see that name being used more and more and more. But Jesus never asked anyone to be a Christian. He asked them to be something else. Look at Matthew chapter 9. If you, would. you can look it up in your message notes that came with your bulletin or... Look it up in your own Bible if you have a Bible with you today. Scriptures are also up on the screen as we go along so that you can follow in the Word of God as we go today. Matthew 9, verse 9. says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, you may be aware, you may have studied, you may have heard it here, that uh, if you were a tax collector in those days, you were universally a hated person. I mean, despised, because uh, the Jews considered them to be traitors against their own people. They considered them to be just criminals, thugs, thieves. It gives you an idea of the kind of people that Jesus was calling. But Again, verse 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me and be my Disciple. Everybody say, be my disciple. Be my disciple. Say it again. Be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. Everybody say, followed him. Follow Do you see that Jesus did not say, hey, would you like to be a Christian? Would you like to be a mini-me? Jesus did not say, would you like to believe like I believe? Would you like to dress like I dress? Would, would you like to go to my church? Would you, you like to, to follow this set of rules? No, what Jesus said was, will you be my disciple? 
will you leave where you are and what you're doing and follow me? The Greek word for disciple is mathetes. It's right there in your notes. And it means a learner, a pupil, a follower. In those days, you couldn't be a disciple unless you had a teacher. And you weren't considered a teacher unless you had disciples. And I love that because you think about it. Jesus never said, hey, come be a Christian. What Jesus said is, be my student. Learn from me. Learn about me. Follow me. Be my disciple. In other words, Jesus is saying, what I want you to do is, is live like I live. Love like I love. Do what I do. Follow me. I'm not asking you to, to change beliefs. I'm not asking you uh, to, to sign on to a belief system. I'm not asking you to, to join an organization. I'm calling you to be part of a movement that's going to revolutionize the world. You're joining a movement. and You're going to follow me as my disciple. So who do you think you are? Because the truth is, if you've met Christ, if you're following Jesus, and you've been transformed and forgiven, and your old life is gone and your new life has come, and you're an ambassador, you're filled with the Spirit, you're an overcomer, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, then write this down. Let me tell you who you are, because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. You are a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Let the world interpret Christian any way it wants to. Assign any meaning that it wants to. We're disciples. We're followers of Jesus. We're the ones who live like Jesus lives and love like he loves and, and, and do what he did because our life is not our own. We've been bought with a price and we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. When you know who you are. You'll know what to do. Well, what does that look like? Disciple. I, as a disciple of Jesus, what, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you a couple things, a couple concrete things, and one that's a little less so. But as a disciple of Jesus, and you're, you're going to want to go ahead and, and write this down, we find the need and we meet it. As a, as a disciple of Jesus, you're going to find a need and meet it. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story about a guy who has been robbed and beaten up, stripped of his clothing and left for dead on the side of the road, naked, bleeding. And in a little while, a priest comes walking by. And the priest is kind of like the pastor of the church. And Jesus says that when he sees this victim, that he crosses over to the other side of the road and walks on his way. Now, I'm sure he had his reasons. He probably had a ministerial association meeting to go to. Maybe he had a tea time at a local golf course. Could have just had a fresh donut and a hot cup of coffee waiting for him somewhere. I mean, he had important things to do. But he walks right on by. And the next person to come along is a Levite. Now, the Levite would kind of be sort of like the staff member of a church. And this time, 
the Bible says that, Jesus says that he walks over, takes a look at the victim, and then decides to cross to the other side of the road and pass on by. I mean, maybe the restrooms at church need to clean or the pastor's car needed to be washed. He, he probably had some staff duties that he needed to attend to. And then a Samaritan comes along. And, and a Samaritan is a very interesting choice for Jesus to make in this story because his listeners hated Samaritans. But there was no love lost. Samaritans hated them too. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds. They were Jews who'd gone into the land of Samaria and had intermarried with pagans there, people who worshipped strange gods, who didn't worship the one true God, Jehovah. And the Jews despised them. And I guess the Samaritans hated the Jews because the Jews hated them. <laughs> we know how that works, right? I mean, we're so insecure, we get upset when we find out people we don't like don't like us either. So they wouldn't have anything to do with one another. The Jews wouldn't touch them, wouldn't talk to them, wouldn't walk on the same side of the street with them. They would, they would cross over. And it's so interesting that Jesus puts that man in that situation. And watch what happens when the Samaritan walks into the story. It's, it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. It says this, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt contempt for him. He felt, Aha, you got just what you deserved, you hater. No. He felt what? He felt compassion for him. He felt compassion. Him. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? That it's possible for us to have compassion and to reach out and help people who are nothing like us. Who have lifestyles that are completely at odds with our values and our beliefs. Do you see that? That there is no prerequisite that someone believe like we believe and live like we live and do like we do for us to be able to help them. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. But all that didn't matter. Because one man saw another man who needed his help and he felt compassion for him. Verse 34. Luke 10, 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The Samaritan does some basic first aid. That's what the, the oil and the wine was about, about soothing the wound, about the alcoholic content of the wine, maybe helping to uh, prevent infection. And Then he puts the guy in his own truck and drives to the Motel 6 where he takes care of him overnight. And the next day, the Samaritan goes down to the front desk. He talks to the desk clerk. He, he gives him his visa card. Oh, he's just trying to rack up frequent flyer points, I think. But he tells him, verse 35, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Amazing. And verse 37, this is the one that gets us, folks. This is the one that grabs us. Jesus said, 
Now go and do the same. Now you go and do the same. That's what disciples do. That's exactly the things we do. We do things just like that because we love like Jesus loved and we live like he lived and we do what he did. But, you know, so often in my life, and I don't know about you, but I'm more like that priest, that Levite. There are needs around me and I, I cross the street. I go down the street on the other side because, not because I'm a bad guy, because I'm busy. Several years ago, psychologists John Darley and Dan Batson tested the effects of religious faith on behavior. And their subjects were seminary students. Keep that in mind now. These are seminary students who were told that they were going to go across campus and deliver a talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan. The catch was, the arrangements were, that the students were held up until they had just a few minutes, about five minutes to get all the way across campus to this lecture hall. And what the students did not know is that Darley and Batson had uh, planted a homeless guy who was laying on the ground, hurt, crying, bleeding. He had placed him at the sidewalk that the students would have to walk down to get to the lecture hall. Now, it's kind of fun to think that maybe the psychologist worked this guy over to make it authentic, but that's not what happened. He was in on it. He's one of the... He's an actor, and he was in on it, but he was basically told to position himself so that the students basically had to step over him to get where they were going, and the results continue to blow my mind. You will not believe this, but this was the results. Only one out of ten, only 10% of those students stopped to help the guy that they were on their way to talk about. Only one in ten. What caused that? They were busy. Right? They had a job to do. They had a task. They had something that, that needed to be accomplished. Some instructions they had been given that needed to be carried out. They were trying to get to the lecture hall to give their talk. And so they overlooked what the talk was even about. As disciples of Jesus, we find needs and we meet them. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was having dinner one evening with his disciples and he, he found out that no one had washed their feet. That was a very important custom in that day. So Jesus sent for the lowest ranking household slave. I mean, the guy that was entry level, had just started. And Jesus said, get that low-ranking slave up here to wash everybody's feet. Is that what happened? No. Jesus took a towel and a basin of water and he went around and he washed every disciple's filthy, dirty, stinky feet. You know, I, I think about that story. I'm, I try to be loving and kind. More often I'm cynical and sarcastic, but I do try. But I think about that story when a person will tell me, a Christian person will tell me, oh, no, 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 I could never do that. 
I'm not interested in that ministry. Uh, I, I, find me something else to do. I don't want to do that. Another time, Jesus' disciples are out fishing, and he was on the beach. And he knew that they would be tired and hungry. So, so check this out. Jesus, the Son of God, sent for some takeout from the restaurant in town uh, and left it there on the beach for them so that when they came in, they would find the food and have something to eat. It's, maybe I'm not reading the right Bible. Well, the, the Scripture says that Jesus builds a fire and cleans some fish and cooks the fish and prepares some bread and serves it to the disciples when they came in. He found a need and he met it. And there was another time when, when all these kids were coming to see Jesus and the disciples were like, get out of here, you kids. The, the master's busy. And Jesus was like, oh, thank you so much. I can't stand working with kids. I just, I don't want to work in the nursery. Get those kids away from me. No, Jesus said, you let those kids come to me. You let them come and, and play with me. Let, let me love on them. Because Jesus found a need and he met it. If you, if you drove into church today by the park, you drove right by a need. It's, it's the house there with the fence on the corner of of Maine and Park Row. That, the eyesore with the unfinished roof yeah, that we've been looking at for several months. There's an older gentleman who lives there. And um, my goodness, you, you think you got it bad? Uh, this man's wife passed away in February. He had a son who committed suicide in May in the house. He has developed dementia. There's another son and daughter who are, who are trying to get the work done, trying to get the roof finished on the house, but they both work full-time jobs. And, and in their off time, they work different shifts. In their off time, they take turns taking care of the, the older gentleman. They have all the materials that they need. They just can't afford to hire someone to get that roof done. Now, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Who wants to help roof that house? Anybody else? <laughs> Pastor Scott, I don't know how to roof a house. The son is a carpenter, works in building construction. He could probably... He probably help you learn. I mean, they don't want me up on that roof, but I can hold a ladder, right? I can see to it that everybody's got food and water. You find a need, and you meet it. Every nonprofit group in our county is begging for volunteers. <laughs> begging for volunteers from, from our, our food pantries and our thrift stores and our senior citizen centers, Habitat for Humanity. Our schools could use volunteers, tutor, read to the kids, help out in other ways. Man, 
Michelle and Missy need additional volunteers in children's ministry. Chris and Anya need adults to help mentor and influence our students to be chaperones, provide transportation, help out in all kinds of ways. We've got ministry ideas on the back burner because we can't find people willing to step up and take them on. Good ideas, people come and say, hey, how about, Pastor Scott, how about we do this? How about we find old cars that people want to, to give away or sell us for real cheap, and, and we work on them. I mean, we have men who, who are mechanics, and, 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 and we work on them, and we get them running well, and then we give them to single mothers, or we give them to a family that doesn't have transportation. You know, they, they want to work, they need a job, but they, they've got to be able to get back and forth. What if we did that? It's an awesome idea. Pastor Scott, I, I know that churches and, and the, the trustee and, and charitable groups get phone calls all the time from people. What if we had a ministry where we helped families learn how to, to, to develop a budget and manage their money, manage their finances? It's an awesome idea. And what if we had ministry to, to you know, people that are addicted? That's a great idea. What if we had lay counselors who could come alongside people who are, are struggling? That's a great idea. Where are you? You're making me feel bad, Pastor Scott. No, no. I just want us to see what's possible when we take to heart this idea that we are disciples of Jesus, that we are followers of Jesus, and followers of Jesus find a need and meet it. All we need, all we need are people who know who they are and who know what to do. Who know they are disciples. Who find needs and meet them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, If you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of these my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Just give away a cup of cold water. That's how simple it is to meet a need. It can be a smile. It can be a word of encouragement. It can be a hello or a please or a thank you. Disciples find a need and meet it. And then there's more because as a disciple, we're going to find a hurt and we're going to heal it. Write that down. As a disciple, you're going to find a hurt and heal it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus, it says, Jesus traveled all through the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. I love the message paraphrase here. It expands just a little bit, and, and it says this, Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places and reported kingdom news and healed their diseased bodies healed their bruised and hurt lives. See, Jesus didn't just raise the dead and heal the sick. He stepped into their hurt lives, their wounded lives, and he healed them. In John chapter 8, there's another familiar story. It's about the time that they brought to Jesus that woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. There was no question. There was no, did she or didn't she? She was caught in the act. 
And the people bring her to Jesus, and, and the people want to, to, to kill her. They want to throw stones, rocks at her until she is dead as punishment for her sin. But Jesus steps into the middle of that situation and says, those of you without sin can throw the first rock. <laughs> and just like that, it's over. It's over. One by one, they all left. They dropped their rocks and walked away. And finally, it's just Jesus and the woman. See, Jesus had stood up for her. He has stood in the gap for her in a, in a way that foreshadows what he was going to do for all of us when he went to the cross. And when it's just him and her, he says, I'm not going to condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And it's very important that we make sure we have that in the right order. See, Jesus did not say, leave your life of sin and I won't condemn you. It's not what he said at all. He said, I don't condemn you. Now leave your life of sin. See, the only thing that can transform a life is the grace and the mercy of God. That's the only thing. It's the only thing that opens a person up to being changed. What Jesus had done here was he found a hurt and he stepped into that life and he healed it. It sounds louder when it's in church, doesn't it? It's all right. And what about Peter? I mean, he's one of the big three, right? Inner circle of the original disciples. <laughs> he denies knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Can you imagine? Did you ever want to have a conversation with Peter? Say, man, Peter, what were you thinking? You walked and talked with Jesus for three years. You heard him teach. You saw the signs and the wonders and the miracle. You ate food that he produced with his bare hands. You, you walked to him on water. And you're going, no, no, I don't know him. I told you I don't know him. Are you deaf? I swear to God, I don't know him. Jesus could easily have written Peter off. That's what you and I would do. You're through. You're done. You, you will never be anything here. There's no place for you in this inner circle. There's no place for you in this circle. There's no place for you. There's no comeback from this one. Instead, Jesus comes back after the resurrection. And he says, Peter, I, I believe in you. You are my disciple. But Peter, I've got to ask you, do you love me? Peter says, oh, Lord, you know I love you. 
But in spite of all that mess, in spite of all that, all those mistakes, in spite of all the ways I messed up, you know I love you. And Jesus said to me, you feed my sheep and you take care of my lambs. Listen. You're sitting out there and you consider yourself damaged goods because of mistakes. Because of sin. I'm going to tell you in the kingdom there is no such thing. He loves you. There's no B team. There's no second place. There's no, hey, I know I'm not worthy, so can I just kind of stand here in the back of the room? I won't bother anybody. Jesus is not going to have it. He's not having it. You're his child. And he loves you. He found a hurt in Peter and he healed it. Man, we can relate to Peter, can't we? We're beaten down. And we don't think we're worth anything. We don't think we are anything. And Jesus comes in and says, I believe in you. I believe in you. You're my ambassador. Yes, you. You're my ambassador. You're an overcomer. You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You are my disciple. And that's what we are. That's what we are as disciples. We're going to find hurts and we're going to heal them. And it can be something as simple as just loving someone, right? Praying for them, listening to them. You know what I decided? This is something I've just learned in the last couple of weeks. If somebody comes up and tells me something and says, will you please pray for me about this or that? And I say, okay. Sorry, folks. I'm probably not going to get it done. I, I have good intentions. I fully intend when I say, yes, I'll pray with you about that. I fully intend to do it. But there's no sense in pretending. So I've just decided that from now on, what I'm going to do when somebody comes and says, will you pray with me about this? I'm going to go, I sure will. Let's pray right here, right now. Right? Now that means a lot of you will never approach me in the IGA again. <laughs> be that as it may, you will be the one to miss the blessing. Because I'm just going to, when you say I need prayer, we're going to pray. We're going to pray right there. <laughs> See, there's nothing holy about the, me kneeling down beside my bed. Except I want to get in the bed. Right? There's no, I don't have a prayer closet. When I get in my office, guess what? I got a, a desk piled this high with things for me to do. Prayer is not going to climb to the top of my priority list. So I'm going to pray when people say, will you pray with me? Yes, I will. Let's pray right now. Boy, that's weird, Pastor Scott. No, I'll tell you. Folks, there are, there are hurting people all around us. If we don't help them, who will? Where are they going to turn? If we don't help them, where are they going to turn? Well, I, don't, I just don't know how to do it, Pastor Scott. I don't know how to, how to help hurting people. Well, listen, it starts with loving people. You know, that's what carried the Samaritan through. That's what led the Samaritan to take his credit card out and leave it at the hotel to take care of a man he never even knew because he felt compassion for him. Jesus said this in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. We love like 
Jesus loves. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciple. When they see how you are loving people and meeting their needs and healing their hurts, they'll know who you belong to. They'll know who you follow. You won't have to wear a t-shirt or put a bumper sticker on your car. You won't have to say a word. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to find a need and meet it. We're going to find a hurt and heal it. And one more. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to do a whole bunch of other stuff that Jesus asks us to do that don't fit neatly into a point on a page. Yeah, that's right, I said it. And I'll say it again. As disciples of Jesus, you're going to do a whole bunch of other stuff that Jesus asks you to do that don't fit neatly into a point on a page. That is a record, folks. That's the longest sermon point I've ever had in 31 years almost of preaching. It's just the whole idea that as disciples of Jesus, we're going to live like he lived and love like he loved and do what he did. See, Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 27. He said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. As disciples, we listen for the voice of God as he leads us. Pastor, how will I know? How will I know it's God? Well, here's kind of how I do it. If I ever have a thought that is not completely selfish and self-centered, I kind of figure it might be God. (laughs) If I ever think about someone else other than myself, then I feel like maybe God is prompting me to minister to them or reach out to them or just to pray for them in that moment. We're his sheep. Sheep learn to hear the voice of the shepherd. That's what the original disciples did. Jesus came along while they were fishing or while they were tax collecting or while they were sitting under trees. And he said, boys, I want you to leave it all and follow me. And they did. They did. They didn't put their stuff on Craigslist and go down and draw all the money out of their 401k. The Bible says they dropped everything and followed him. When we're a disciple of Jesus, he's going to talk to us and we're going to do what he says. Oh, no, no, Pastor Scott, I'm telling you, I can't. It's, it's, it's too big. It's too much. It's too strange. It's too weird. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. With Christ we can do anything. What is impossible for man is possible with God. We can do it. We are overcomers and God empowers us. And we're not becoming his disciples. We are his disciples. Christ lives in us. And he gives us the words to say. And he gives us the compassion. He gives us the ability to reach into someone's life and make a difference for eternity as his disciples. Say it. Say, I am a disciple. Say it again. I stand here today not because I have it all together and not because I'm anything special, but because I believe one thing. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord 
and Savior and that he lives in me and I follow him and that his power, his ability to change lives is going to work itself through me and out of me into the lives of other people. And the great news is if you know Jesus and you follow Jesus, the same thing is true about you. Your life is not your own. You belong to him. You're his disciple. And you don't just believe what he said. You do what he did. You love like he loved. And you get to make a difference in the world. I love the story of the, the young missionary. It was a young woman who was leading a visiting missionary team in a very poor part of the world. And as they were traveling through the streets, the missionary stopped to minister to a man who was lying beside the road, bleeding, half dead. The man was filthy. And the smell of his wound was nauseating. In the group, on the ministry team, was a man, an American, pretty well-to-do. He's watching her just with disgust as she's bandaging this man's wounds. And he said to this young missionary girl, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she paused and looked up at him and said, I wouldn't do it for a million dollars either. But I would do it for the one who gave his life for me. I would do it for Jesus. Because when we know who he is and we know who we are, we'll know what to do. Bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.